I'm going to do something, as we start out this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different than I normally do. I want you to answer a question, not out loud, but in your mind, okay? I want you to answer a question. I, you know, we hear so much of it today, whether it's on Christian radio or in Christian publications or even, even through messages, we, we develop concepts in our mind about what is a good Christian. What does a good what makes you a good Christian? So that's what I want you to think of right now. I want you to think for a moment in your mind when you think about being a good Christian what what comes to your mind? Okay? What comes to your mind? Maybe you're thinking in your mind, I'll just throw some things out there. Maybe you're thinking in your mind that uh, it's whether or not I attend church, or whether or not I give in the offering, or whether or not I volunteer, whether or not I vote for the, these days, whether I not vote for the right party. I've heard that one, okay? Um, maybe it's something else. I want you to think in your mind, when you think about being a good Christian, what what does that look like? What, do, what, is, what is entering into your mind? Now, I have a reason for doing this. I'm not wanting to hear your answers. I just threw some out anyhow. But I want you to think about what you are thinking. This is the issue I want you to think about. I want you to think about in your mind what makes a good Christian. Okay? Good Christian. Because I want you to think for a moment, you know, I've been a believer since 1985, okay? So I've been saved for, it's going to be here in April, will be 35 years, I guess. Wow, this is 2020, isn't it? Wow, 35 years, all right. My wife is grimacing. We're getting old, Lori, okay. But I can remember through the years, especially when I was in that little bitty independent Baptist church right after I got saved, Hearing different saints say things like, well, they're not doing right by going there. They're not doing right by hanging out there. I remember one time uh, when I was in this college group at the University of South Carolina, and, uh, you know, on the weekends we would go and get a video. Back then you had VHS tapes, okay? So you had to go to a video store, all right? And I remember being with this group of college kids. We were in this group called Real Life, and we went to the over to West Columbia, South Carolina, and we went to a video store. And, and I'm walking in to this video store, and I'm looking across the street before we walk in, and I see this old deacon from the church that I go to, and I hollered, Mr. Bogan! His name was Bogan. That's a good southern name, isn't it? Mr. Bogan. Mr. Bogan, how you doing? And then I went into the store. And we got our video and we watched some chick flick, whatever, because it was a good Christian group, whatever. Okay, so I didn't think anything more of that. And I was in the National Guard at that time, so I went away for my two weeks of training at Fort Knox, Kentucky with my unit. And I came back, and I'm in Wednesday night prayer meeting. Back then, we had prayer meeting on Wednesday night in that church. And we're in a prayer group. Men prayed in groups, and women prayed in groups. And we're in a prayer group, and we're going around. And after we're praying, Mr. Bogan looked at me and said, Boy, what were you doing going into that store? 
and at first, you know, this has been a couple of, this has been about three weeks. And I'm like, what's, what's he talking about? You know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering. And then he said, a good Christian man doesn't go into a place like that. You don't know the kind of stuff they're selling in there. Now, what you watch in the privacy of your own home on cable, that's one thing. But you don't go into a store, that's a poor testimony. Do you hear the contradictions there? In his mind, a good Christian doesn't do certain things, right? See, this is why I'm asking you that question. You and I are bombarded continually, I call it, with toxic Christianity. If you have a bulletin, I, I want to make a couple of points here. On the back, you can fill out this out. I'm, I'm going to talk about the culture that we live in, the church culture that we live in, because we can so mess up in our mind what being a good Christian is because it's a whole lot more simpler than you realize. Because we add things to it. We actually have a toxic Christian concept of things. What do you mean? Well, let's take a look at this first one I want to show you, okay? It's easy to be confused about what it means to be a good Christian. It's easy to be confused about what it means to be a good Christian. I'm just going to be honest with you. If we were to share our concepts of what is in our mind with that question I gave you earlier about what a good Christian is, there would be some folks here who might have some similar things that they would share. They would say, oh, you can't do this, and you have to do this. But then some of you might be shocked that there would be other answers here that are completely different And you don't agree with. In fact, we might actually, to be honest with you, have a war break out among us. Because what you're going to find is, is we can't agree on, quote, what it means to be a good Christian. And that's pretty logical because Christianity hasn't agreed on it for centuries. Now, why is that? Because we should have some sort of concept of what being a good Christian is, right? And that's because we're confused. It's it's easy to be confused. Like, I remember, Chris, 1985, freshman engineering student at USC coming to Christ. And, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I didn't come from a family that went to church, so I didn't own a suit or own a jacket or own a tie. And uh, now I'm going to a church where it's not acceptable to wear blue jeans and a t-shirt. So I remember going to my daddy and saying to him, uh, Dad, do we have a coat and a tie? And, oh yeah, I've got one. And so he gave it to me. Now you've got to realize, I've, I've, I was a lot thinner, but I still was a bigger boy com- compared to my dad. And so he gave me a coat from when he wore it in the military some special function and a big fat, but you gotta remember this is 1980s, but something in the 70s, I don't know where they got this from, they decided that ties needed to be very wide. You like cover your belly ties, okay? So he gave me this big fat puke colored puke, okay? Now my wife likes puke colors, she probably would have thought that was nice, but puke colored tie, and a jacket that's three sizes too small, and I go to church. Why, why am I doing that? And I got to ask for a King James Bible. So I show up with my dad being a Mason, a Masonic Bible. 
got a big Mason symbol on the outside, to an independent Baptist church. Because I have been figured out that this is what you do if you're a good Christian, right? See, this is the problem. This is toxic Christianity where we confuse things. And so here's my second point I want you to say. We live in a church culture that continually communicates expectations. That, that's what's happening here. We, we live in a church culture, period. Whether it's in this church or collectively in churches or collectively in churches in our country, where, where what is communicated is expectations about what you should be doing if you're a Christian. So if you listen to Christian radio, you get that. If you're reading publications, if you're in a ladies group or you've got friends at work or something who are believers, there are continual expectations that are communicated to you that have nothing to do with other than what your efforts are, the stuff you're doing. But let's remind us something. Let's remind ourselves of something here. When you think about coming to Jesus for salvation, okay, is there anything that you can do for salvation? No. Okay, I've got two people. Anything you can do, folks? No. Nothing. In fact, we would say, if you're trying to do something, it's not salvation, right? That's works. Is there anything you can do for acceptance with God? No. But why is it, though, that after we experience that salvation, we get confused now that we're supposed to live lives that are constantly trying to what? Keep his acceptance. Show that we're good. When in reality, we could never do anything to gain it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, I don't know, George. Where are you going at with this? Well, that's where we come to the letter of Galatians. That's what we're going to study from here on out for the next few months, okay? And we're going to talk about being accepted. That's exactly what this letter is about. Let me explain to you about this letter before we start. This is one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's, earliest letters that he wrote. This was written actually just a few months after he left the area of Galatia and planting churches there, and he was in another area, and he received a report that all of the believers that he had established there, all of the churches that he had established there, had gotten themselves into a problem. Now, it wasn't a problem with finances. It wasn't a problem with uh, where they met or anything. It wasn't practical problems. It was actually theological problems. They got themselves into a situation where now they were completely confused about salvation. Completely confused about being accepted by God and confused about grace. And what that meant in their lives. And really what the question was about what it meant to be a good Christian. And so that's what this letter is about because he's wanting to address this issue. And so we're going to start off actually with this first message where he addresses the fact that they have been deceived. 
And could I maybe tell you that maybe you and I have been deceived? What are you talking about, George? No. If when I asked you that question, what does it mean to be a good Christian? If in your mind you were thinking of an action or an effort, you were showing that maybe you've been deceived. Oh, well, let's take a look at what he's saying here, okay? We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. We're going to start out, we're going to skip through the traditional uh, first five verses, which are basically a traditional greeting to the churches at Galatia. We're just going to get right into the heart of what he's talking about. But look in your Bibles, verse 6, look at what Paul writes. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, that if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Wow, what a way to start off a letter. I, I, I kind of liken it to this. You know, like, if you write, let, this is before emails. We used to write letters to each other all the time. Well, I guess we do send emails. And so emails tend to be short. You just kind of get to the point. But back then, I can remember when you wrote letters and you just kind of, hey, how you doing? Things are going well here. And you just kind of were fluff stuff. Then you got to, when you got into the message, you kind of talked about what your need was or what your plans were. If you start out a letter with, hey, I got a problem, here's the problem, you know there's an issue, right? Well, this is how Paul's starting out his letter. Normally when he starts out a letter, I'll be honest with you, if you look at any of the other letters that he writes, he always starts out with, after the greeting and the traditional greeting and the traditional blessing, he always starts out with a prayer of thanksgiving for that church. You'll see that in all the other letters of Paul. In this letter, there is no prayer of thanksgiving. It just gets right to the heart of the matter. Guys, there's a problem. I'm hearing things. It's not good. You've been deceived. So let's talk about it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this portion of Scripture, these verses, these five verses, and we're basically going to look at, first of all, surprised. He's surprised by some things. We're going to look at a deadly message, and I'm going to be honest with you folks, you and I are influenced daily by a deadly message, and you need to be aware of it. And then we're going to answer the question, who are we pleasing? Pleasing who? When you think about your Christian life, who are you pleasing? Who are you trying to please? You might be shocked by what Paul points out here. You might be shocked. 
Okay? You might be shocked. So let's look, first of all, surprise. Look with me at verse 6 and 7. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Two things I want to point out here. First of all, it's easy to lose focus concerning the nature of salvation. That's the first thing he's going to point out to them. Listen, this letter was written not a year later, not two years later or ten years later. This letter was written a mere few months after he had just been there. After a few months of being there with these folks where he's communicating the true gospel of Christ, he's surprised that they had so quickly been confused and lost their focus concerning the nature of salvation quickly and we can we can understand that right that whole little story i told you from my life about going and getting a jacket that could didn't fit me for my daddy and and a wide tie and carrying a a, a king james bible that had a mason symbol on it going to that church, I'll be honest with you, why did that take place? Because even though I had experienced the grace of Jesus in salvation and knowing it had nothing to do with me, it had to do with him, I quickly was embracing the concept that in order to be a good Christian, you had to do these certain things. How, how, how's that possible? I mean, when, in my instance, it was only a week, not even a week. How's that possible? Because it's easy to lose focus. Because we think in terms of doing stuff. Did you understand what I'm saying? We think in terms of doing stuff. And we forget that the whole nature of salvation is that you can't do anything. Right? Can any of us do anything here for salvation? No. It's a gift of God. Isn't that what Ephesians would tell us in chapter 2? Verses 8 and 9. Not by works, lest any man should what? Boast. See, this is the point. They, they had so quickly, and he's surprised by this, they had so quickly lost their focus about what salvation is. And, and here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. The tendency is to exchange grace for effort. The tendency is to exchange Grace for effort. That's our tendency. We tend to exchange the grace of Jesus that he's given to us with, I'm going to be okay with God if I do this. Okay, so let me, you say, oh, I don't know if I agree with that, George. I don't have that problem. Okay, so let me ask you a question. You go for a few days without having your personal devotions or reading the Bible or praying. What kind of thoughts go through your mind? I'm not in a good way because I haven't spent time in the Bible. I'm not in a good way because I haven't prayed. Or I haven't been to church. This came up, that came up, so I haven't been to church. And, and, and do you understand what I'm saying? You begin to see yourself and you begin to diminish who you are in your standing with God because you haven't done things. Now are you going to tell me that this isn't an issue? It is an issue. 
I mean, we forget things so quickly. What do you mean? I'll give you a human illustration so that you understand. Because we don't think in terms of this. So, okay, so Lori and I have four kids, all right? Four perfect kids. Y'all know better, right? Okay. We're not perfect. They're not perfect, all right? Now, do our kids do things that aren't right? Yes, of course. They're human beings. Do they do things that we are disappointed with? Yeah, yeah, they do things that we're disappointed with. Now, can I tell you something? We might be disappointed, but does that change our love for them? No, we still love them. We still accept them. They're a part of our family. Always will be. And every one of you can relate to that, right? You can relate to that, right? Okay. Now tell me why on that human concept with regards to our own loved ones and our own family, we have a different concept when it comes to God and us. Because somehow we've adopted this mindset that says, well, because I didn't do this, he doesn't love me anymore and he's, he's not answering my prayers and he's just waiting to squash me. I mean, you think about the stuff that we think when in reality... The testimony of Scripture is so much more than that. Remember what he says through the Apostle John? 1 John chapter 2, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not, but if you sin, you have what? An advocate. Jesus, who is the propitiation for your sins. Propitiation, big Bible word meaning what? Wrath satisfier. The one who is the atoning sacrifice. The one who paid the price for you. Now, seriously, if he had an attitude towards you and was no longer accepting you and was rejecting you because you didn't have your devotions for a few days, seriously, how's that possible when he just said that in First John? See, there's a tendency that you and I have to exchange the whole concept of grace, which is unmerited favor, which is getting what you don't deserve. It's mercy. It's acceptance with him that you don't deserve, that you can't attain for yourself. And we exchange that for, am I doing the right stuff? Now, will you at least admit that you and I have this problem? I'll admit it. We have this problem. How did we get there? We've been deceived. We've been deceived. I want you to think about that for a moment. We've been deceived. That's what he's talking about here. He's surprised at them. So, deceived by what, George? Well, we're deceived by a deadly message. This is what he's going to focus on here in verses 8 through 9. Look at what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. That's a pretty strong message here. Our English translation doesn't bring it out. That word accursed is the Greek word anathema, which literally means to hell with them. That's what he's saying here. 
So what are we seeing here about this deadly message? Two things. Those who add requirements to the grace of Jesus are cursed. Whoa. Those who add requirements, those who come along and they communicate that in order for you to be a good Christian, you need to do this. In order for you to be a good Christian, you need to vote this way. In order for you to be a good Christian, you need to give this much. In order for you to be a good Christian, you need to do... I'm telling you right now, the Bible's saying that's adding to the message of grace. Your acceptance with Jesus doesn't matter how with how much you're given, what you're doing, who you're voting for. Do you understand? God doesn't see any of that. He sees only one thing when it comes to your acceptance with Christ what Jesus did on the cross not you do you understand there is nothing you can do to gain his salvation and acceptance it's not what you've done have done it's what he did do you understand isn't that awesome aren't you thankful for that man I am But then when you come along and you throw all this stuff on top of it, and it's subtle. Here's the thing. It's subtle. I mean, because somebody comes in here, if they're a Jehovah Witness, and they tell you that Jesus isn't God, you and I would recognize that as wrong teaching. If some came in here and said that Jesus and Satan are brothers, and blah, 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 because some angel talked to them, we would recognize that and say, that's wrong. But I'm telling you, the stuff that trips us up in our Christian lives, that gets us to lose focus on our salvation. It's not that outward wrongness, it's the subtle wrongness that you pick up in church. And we don't even know we're communicating it to each other. That's what's wrong. That's what's deadly. In their instance, they had, because they're primarily a Jewish group, they've got some Gentiles among them, primarily a Jewish group, they had these Jewish folks showing up, probably from Jerusalem, who were telling them, well, it's good that you have Jesus, but you also need to keep the law. And you'll see that through all the letters. That was a big struggle for them back then. People trying to impose the law. Now that got settled after AD 70 when the temple was destroyed and the church becomes primarily Gentile. But again... We don't have to keep the law, but we sure got some other laws that we've created, haven't we? Don't do this. Don't go here. If you go here, you're not a good Christian. And I hate to say it, I, I even had that kind of a perspective years ago and communicated it. But it's wrong. It's wrong. Those who add requirements to the grace of Jesus are accursed. And, and here he goes on in verse 9. He repeats himself, but right at the beginning, I want you to notice what he says, verse 9. As we have said before. What's the point here? The point is, is this is something that you have been warned about. Look, I'm not telling you guys anything new. I'm not telling you when I explain to you the nature of salvation and the nature of, of, of acceptance with God. You've heard that all before, and you've all heard before that you can't add to that and that your acceptance is not based on all these other things. You've been warned about that, but look at it, folks, look. Even though we've been warned, we still what? Drift there. Still ease ourselves into that mode that I have my devotions this week, that I go to church. Which, by the way, folks, you need to come to church, but there's a reason for coming to church. It's not so that God gains your acceptance. It's so that you are strengthened by being with other believers. Do you understand? 
There's, there's a reason for all this other stuff, but it's not so you gain acceptance with God. Listen, when you go to be with Jesus, he isn't going to break out the big roll sheet and say, well, I noticed you only gave this much in your lifetime, and I noticed you only attended church this much. You know, I've got a mark here. If you attend this many times, you'll be okay. God doesn't work on a brownie point system. When are we going to grasp that? Well, see, that brings us to verse 10, which we're going to see tells us what the real issue is. Paul gets right to the heart of the issue of why the confusion about grace, why the confusion about the nature of salvation, because it comes down to an issue of pleasing someone. We're doing it, can I be honest with you? We might say, well, we're doing it for acceptance with Jesus. I'll be flat out honest with you. The issue is, is we're trying to please someone. Look at what he says, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Wow, what a question. So listen. 1985, in May, I'm because I got saved towards the end of April. So in May, when I'm going to that little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm showing up in a jacket that's three or two sizes smaller than me with a big, fat, pukey, wide tie. Who was I doing that for? God? Or people? Who was I doing it for? Did you know what I mean? That's the question here. Look at what he says. For do you now persuade men or God? Do I need to persuade God anything? No. I couldn't before. Not at all, right? Or do I seek to please men? Not, that really gets to the heart right there. Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's getting right to the heart of the issue. Here's what I want you to see, folks. This is an issue of pleasing who? The question is, is who are you trying to please? And let's just be honest. There's a big pressure in church, isn't there? There's a type of peer pressure in church. It might be from your family. It might be from collectively from being among other believers. Uh, it, there, there's a perception about what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing, and it's just a pressure on us. I'm just going to be honest with you. And sometimes we do those things not because... We are convinced that that's what God, although we kind of arrive there, we think, oh, well, if this is the expectation, this must be what God wants. We haven't really thought it through from the scripture because the scripture would tell you that it's not true. It's really, this is what is expected of me. <laughs> Can I tell you? Oh, my. This, my wife has been a blessing in my life. Now, I won't tell her that too often, but she has been. So we just got married, 1993. I finished seminary at Liberty University at the seminary there. And uh, we, we moved up here to Pennsylvania. I married her. And so we were on our way from there to go into ministry, thinking about the mission field or whatever. And uh, so we're going to her home church. 
And, and it's, it's a rural country church filled with dairy farmers and others. So the first Sunday, we're getting dressed for church. Now we're, and uh, so we're back from our honeymoon. We're getting dressed for church. And George puts on his suit. And my wife looks at me and says, what are you doing? I'm getting ready for church. No, you're not. Nobody dresses like that except a preacher. So I said, no, no, this is the way you're supposed to dress to go to church. So I guess I went to church. And, and the only time in that church when people wore a tie and a coat and stuff was Easter. That's when guys wore, everybody else, they just kind of dressed like this. Except the preacher who was wearing a suit. And so there's this group of 150 people worshiping. And there's two suits there. The guy in the pulpit and the guy sitting in the second row with his wife, George. Why was I doing that? Had nothing to do with God. It had to do with the expectation of people. Only the problem is, I'm used to doing that in the South. I just moved to Pennsylvania where there is no expectation. If anything, people were looking at like, what's his deal? This ain't Easter. Do you see my point? Who, who are you trying to please? And can we just go ahead and say right off the bat, that's called the approval trap where you're trying to gain the approval of others, but the problem is you never gain their approval. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody's ever going to truly accept you, especially if they're having a bad hair day. They might accept you that day, but the next day they don't, and you're like, you know. Who are you trying to please? That's the question. The question is, is who you're trying to please? That's what he's raising here. Who are you, who are you trying to persuade? Who are you pleasing? Second thing I want you to see here. Effort is always driven by what others think of you. Effort is always driven by what others think of you. You need to understand that when you talk about, especially when it comes to church, some of the stuff we do has nothing to do with serving Jesus, loving Jesus. Some of it has to do, most of it has to do with what do other people think about me. And effort is always driven by that. That's what Paul is getting to. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. That's what's deadly to your soul when you think about being accepted by God. Because what happens is, is that I've already told you, you're not always going to be accepted by God. And as soon as somebody doesn't accept you because you're not doing it the way they think you should do it, or you're not doing it good enough, because isn't that the truth? We never do it good enough. We start thinking that God sees us that way. And, man, aren't we wrong? Because he only sees us through one thing, what Jesus did for us. That's the true basis of acceptance, right? All right, George, what do we do with this? Well, let me give you two thoughts, okay? Two things you need to wrestle with. 
two statements that I want you to ponder, that I want you to digest, that I want you to consider. Because the fact of the matter is, is you and I are constantly being deceived, and we don't even know it, but we are. Here's the first one. You need to consider if you've been deceived about the Christian life. You need to consider if you've been deceived about the Christian life. I'll be honest with you folks, I've been saved, wow, 35 years ago this April. For the first 12 years of my Christian life, I mean, that's two years into even to my first pastorate. I was deceived until I woke up to the reality of His grace. And that blows you away. Because let's, let's be honest. Are you ever good enough? Can you answer that one? Are you ever good enough? Well, there's at least one loud person here. Are you ever good enough? No, you're not, are you? Why do we live under that bondage that tells us you've got to be good enough? Because it can never happen. We, we forget that God doesn't grade sins. They're all sin to him and an abomination to him, right? You need to consider if you've been deceived. So my second point is this. Look to who you're trying to please with your spirituality. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to please? That is a needless trap waiting for somebody to give you their acceptance because you're, quote, doing all the right things. Have you noticed? I mean, I've noticed this in, in my life that the people you're trying to please, they always raise the bar. If I can reach this, then it'll be okay. No, no, they just raise it a little bit higher. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Because you're never going to get there. Because that's what it's like to deal with humans. But you're not dealing with humans. When you talk about salvation and acceptance with God, you're dealing with the Lord who what? Paid the price for your sin. Not because of you, but because of his love. I pray that you and I would begin to understand, and especially as we go through this series, as we learn to live, experience His grace day by day. Let me pray for you.